Welcome to Young Women on Fire podcast, where the focus is young women lighting the way into the future, making splashes in areas of sports, science, education, technology, and entrepreneurship, knowing when to lead and when to be led. Let's take a dive into seeing what our young women are doing today. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Young Women on Fire. So today, I think I'm going to call this episode Young Women on Fire Goes Old School because I have a very good friend of mine, Darlene Cavalier. Uh, Darlene and I have been friends for over 14 or 15 years. Um, We've met a long, long time ago. And she is currently a professor of practice at Arizona State University School for the Future of Innovation in Society. One of the neat things about Darlene is that she is the founder of SciStarter. It's a popular science, citizen science portal and research platform that connects millions of people to real science that they can actually participate in. Another interesting thing about Darlene, which led me to like, hey, let's like have this conversation. She is the founder of Science Cheerleaders, and Science Cheerleaders is a nonprofit organization that has former and current NFL and NBA and college cheerleaders that are pursuing a career in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math. My good friend Darlene has co-authored and co-edited multiple publications, and she was recently appointed to the National Academy of Science Designing Citizen Science to Support Science Learning Committee. So she has done a lot in science. And so I just want to welcome Darlene to Young Women on Fire. How are you? I'm good, Don. I'm so excited to be here and just the opportunity to, to catch up too. Yeah, yeah, this is great. So one of the things I want to uh, talk to you about is, okay, so let's talk about what was your undergrad degree in? Communications from Temple University and a minor in performing arts. So my mom would say I went to school and majored in cheerleading. (laughs) I could have, if there was an opportunity for that, I would have, if I could have. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of young women out there that would probably do the same thing. However, they realize that that segue from where you were as a bachelor's degree student to where you are now took some time and took some like introspection as well, like just to know like, hey, I'm going to venture off into the science career. And how did that start? Like, when did you become interested in citizen science? Um, I became slightly interested in science uh, through my first real job out of school. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like millions of other people, especially girls, Mm -hmm. all through school and high school and college, I really had very little interest in any of the STEM topics. Mm-hmm. It always seemed like they were talking to somebody else when they were talking about STEM or they had special speakers come into my school and so forth. So um, I was very fortunate to have a job um, offer at Disney mm-hmm. and Disney had just purchased Discover Magazine. So my first job out of uh, Temple was back in Bucks County working for a company that um, Discover Magazine had outsourced a lot of work to. And one of the tasks was to review and edit a teacher's guide, which meant I had to read the magazine. Uh-huh. So read the magazine and edit the teacher's guide. So this is where the communications degree came in handy. So oh, good. A decent writer there. Um, so in reading the magazine, which is a perfect magazine for me to kind of cut my teeth on because it is written for the general public. Right. Many of Discover's, Discover Magazine's readers um, did not finish college and most don't have 
formal science degree. So it's really written for an everyday person. Okay. Um, and so then I, I was hired by uh, Discover Magazine to come in-house. I moved to New York, and I ran a program called the Discover Awards for Technological Innovation. Mm-hmm. And now this is the point where I get to actually talk to the scientists and scientists doing amazing things. Right. Um, and it sort of never left me that, geez, how often do we have an opportunity to knowingly meet and have a regular conversation with a scientist about their work? finding ways to connect with science in a meaningful way without having to become a scientist. This is where I learned about citizen science. Right. But it's called all different types of things. It's like, um, uh, it's almost a form of activism for environmentalists, or it's like participatory research, you name it. There's a bunch of different ways. Crowdsourcing is probably the most um, common term. Right. But I discovered how hard it was to find the actual opportunities. You shouldn't have to go to graduate school to learn which term to use just do a Google search to find opportunities to engage. So true. This is is how I started SciStarter. SciStarter was just a very small database of opportunities that I found kind of standardized the way that it was presented to people. Back then it was just in a WordPress blog. And I invited people to tell me about other projects they may be involved in and to use this portal as a way for them to find cool things to, to do. Right. So some examples might be, um, bird watching, which is a huge category of citizen science. There's millions of bird watchers out there who now use an app that shares their observations with ornithologists. Oh, wow. And not, yeah, not just ornithologists, others who use that data to um, understand changes in climate. So you can now start to see that when birds change their migratory patterns, there's a reason they're doing that. Sometimes it is about climate change. Right. Other times it may be about effects of phenology, so these are all new words to me too. Right, right. Especially then. So phenology <laughs> is like studying the changes um, of seasons and the, the impact that it has on nature. So it just is a reminder that everything's connected. You know, if the buds aren't blooming, the pollinators can't do what they need to do. The birds don't get the food that they need to do. So we're all in this system together right. there. But then there's other types of citizen science projects that are of appeal too. So for the examples that I just gave, uh-huh. let me just be that you're a hobbyist and you enjoy science and nature. So you get involved, you kind of dabble in these projects where scientists need you sure. to share your observations. In other cases, your life or your loved one's life may depend on it. There's okay. a project called Stall Catchers where um, you're helping to advance research on Alzheimer's simply by looking at very short video clips of blood moving through the brain of a mouse. Oh, wow. And that mouse has been infected with Alzheimer's. This is a project out of Cornell. Okay. And um, the researchers there, the graduate students spend hours upon hours just looking at these videos, ultrasound videos, very short clips of the blood moving, and they identify every time they see a stalled blood vessel. Ah. And it turns out humans can do that too. So all you do is you're trained to look for these stalls, and it's kind of easy to see because it's like a white solid, no movement going right. through. Sure. And so you keep clicking on, okay, I see a stall, I see a stall, I see a stall. And why that's important is because they already have found that they use experimental medication to reduce the number of stalls. Mm-hmm. And when they reduce significantly reduce the stalls, the memory in that mouse mm-hmm. returned. So huh. this is a really exciting area. Who knows where it's going to lead? Right. But this is where you have millions of classifications from thousands of people who do this because they want to be part of a solution right. to either you know something that's affecting them or, like I said, a loved one. So the point is, lots of citizen science exists out there, and SciStarter now has more than three thousand projects and events. 
right? That people can search and get involved in. You know, it's been beyond my wildest dreams of wow. you know my little portal there. But this also is how the science cheerleaders come to play, right? Yes, because at the same time, um, it was actually a, a, a co-parent from the same school where our girls went. Yeah, who. Um, said, you know, I understand this work that you're doing and I saw your blog and, you know, if you need any marketing tips, I can help you uh-huh. have more people discover these opportunities. And so he said, but I need to do like a 10 minute quick interview with you just to kind of get at your, your background and where this motivation's coming because right. I just thought you were, you know, a mom dropping your kid off at school all the time. And through the course of that interview, uh-huh. um, you know, I shared that I was, you know, not just a cheerleader from from my earliest memories, but all the way through professional career. So I cheered for the um, NBA team, the 76ers, um, partly when I was in college and then for two years when I was at that company that I mentioned, which is called Media Management. Right. Um, I think it's called Edu Media now. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, you were a professional cheerleader? (laughs) You should call your blog Science Cheerleader. Oh, great. And I said, I'm not letting anybody that knows me now know that I was a cheerleader, you know? And he said, well, then you, you're not, you're never going to be trusted. Like you need to be authentic. If you're trying to get regular people right. who didn't have an opportunity or kind of turned against science, um, you know, as a, as a field or a profession, yeah. or even as an interest, they're going to resonate with you and your human life, which is, you know, cheerleading and dance. Right. And he was right. So when I did that, um, I also then turned to the 76ers cheerleaders to do some promotional videos with me mm-hmm. um, that would encourage more um, young cheerleaders to think about these, you know, think about STEM differently in their life. They don't sure. have to think about it as a career because I think what turned um, me away from considering it as a career is just the very idea that you would be coming in speaking to kids in fourth grade, kids in seventh grade, maybe even in 10th grade, as though science should be pursued only for those who are going to make it their career. And we'll hear that undertone all the time. You know that. And if you don't even know what you want to do yet, who does? Mm -hmm. I didn't. Right. You know, I, I thought I was going to write funny commercials. (laughs) I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that. So I don't need this science stuff. So this um, became an opportunity to work through what turned out to be hundreds of actual professional and college cheerleaders, but mostly professional cheerleaders who actually were becoming scientists. So I learned about them because anytime the science cheerleader blog made it into the news, um, I would hear from science cheerleaders saying, I'm also a science cheerleader. And I said, wow, that's weird because that's not where I was going with this, but let me do exactly what you're doing with me, Don, is what I did with them. Yeah. And ours was just online. Like, Uh let's do an online interview. Right. Because I am, I want to do something with the science cheerleaders. I'm not sure what yet. And every time I had interviewed a science cheerleader and put them on the blog, the traffic went way up. Yeah. So, so let's find a way to translate that into moving people over now to awareness of citizen science. So mm-hmm. it's one thing to like be intrigued by, yeah. you know, a Patriots cheerleader who's also getting her PhD in something. Sure, yeah. But let's find a way to like move that enthusiasm or interest to a related citizen science project that people in the Boston area could do, sure. for example, or a related citizen science project that that um, cheerleader, you know, was an expert in. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's um, a neurologist. So mm-hmm. we're going to get some of these brain projects going. So uh, by combining the two, um, we started to see more movement in the meaningful engagement, which is the citizen science. Right. 
So um, the science cheerleaders did, though, take on such a big, big following and such a um, media interest yeah. from national media, international media, that we reorganized that as a um, nonprofit. Okay. Yep. And um, they do really cool things. In fact, uh, soon they're going to be part of a USA Science and Engineering Festival that's all virtual. Uh-huh. So you'll get to meet some of the science cheerleaders. They, they actually do that in person every other year in Washington, D.C., where they do a big performance right. and meet and greets. It's led to a partnership with Pop Warner. Uh-huh. So Pop Warner is a youth cheerleading and football organization. And we work with the youth cheerleaders to um, basically challenge stereotypes and let them know, too, like, you can totally be a cheerleader or dancer as long as your body lets you do that. <laughs> um, but also, most, if you want to do that for the NFL, right? almost every team requires you to have a full-time job or be in school. Oh, okay. So, why not make it STEM still? And so those science cheerleaders are also able to say the qualities that made me a great cheerleader made me an outstanding engineer, teamwork, um, a healthy body, healthy mind attitude, great time management, positivity, um, public speaking, communication skills. All those things actually work very well as it turns out in the sciences and vice versa. Then they also get to speak to the parents and to all of those cheerleaders as well to say, you, now you don't have to become a cheerleader. I mean, you don't have to become a scientist. Let me tell you all the ways that you can still engage in science mm-hmm. as a non-professional. And this is where we show them all of the different citizen science opportunities to engage in. Right. So those are how those two things kind of came together mm-hmm. along with one more, which is, um, more about getting people involved in science policy conversations. So actually, sure. while I was at Penn, I did three startups. And I did not realize I was going to have three startups. I really only had the the um, project finder. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a means to an end to write my final paper right. and to show all the different examples that existed. But it turned out that there are three startups. So one is Science Cheerleaders, mm-hmm. one is SciStarter, mm-hmm. and the other one is called e cast network.org. So okay. eCast is like where the rubber hits the road with all of this. This is where we get people um, informed about and engaged on federal policy issues. So nice. these are like super careful deliberations that take place in museums, universities, and libraries, so forth. So ideally, we get to move people along those three spectrums uh-huh. of engagement. Hardly ever is it one person who can, you know, be kind of curious and you know, do something and be engaged just because she's a cheerleader or doing right. science cheerleaders. We have seen evidence where we can move them to citizen science. Um, the trouble about like actually moving them to the policy stuff is that there's just too few opportunities right now. So sure. we're hoping to get more and more opportunities for people to have direct input into the actual policy work, whether that's like connecting them, making it easier for them to find when bills have been posted, something as simple mm-hmm. as that. Oh, so yeah. Be part of that commenting process is hard to, just to find that right now. That's something that we're that we're toying around with now. That's your long answer. Yeah, that, no, that's a great answer because it gives me and the listeners all of the avenues that you've taken. You know, you started out as a communications major that led you to Discovery Magazine, that led you to you know, and down the road. And it's so important for our young women to understand that just because there is what may be stereotypical, you know, I mean, I'm a nurse, so, and, you know, you can say a lot of females are nurses there, you know, there is a big percentage of 
nurses that are female, but why can't the nurses be the doctors and why can't they be, you know, the PhD students and looking into science. And sometimes we put people in silos at a very young age and that kind of forms their mind to who they think they should be. And you having science cheerleaders and, you know, science citizens and all of those avenues definitely broadens a horizon for young people to go, wait, I don't have to pursue necessarily a academic science major, but why can't I be involved in policy making for, you know, EPA or something like that, or be one of those people that are on the board? Because obviously board members aren't just those who are in the organization. You need citizens, scientists, people who are just vastly interested that, you know, add to a discussion, you know, because these boards, a lot of times, they don't, they can only see their, their little perspective on things. And the broader perspective is so much more important than anything else. So true. And, um, you know, also, as we're talking through this, and we both have college age kids, too. Yeah. Um, I've, I've learned to sort of take the pressure off of them or have them look at college a little bit differently is because sure. I didn't find my, you know, calling until my mid to late thirties, you yeah. know, and I would say even later where it actually all started coming together for me, right. but it took all of those years before me of just like pursuing something that I was curious about. Right. So if you're, if you're curious, don't let anything stop you, you know, sure. and whatever the barriers that you might face are, there's always a way around them or above them. Oh, of and course. Sometimes you have to create the crosswalk. Sometimes just it didn't happen yet. Right. So we're all part of this. Of like, So I built a little component of it. And the people who come after me hopefully can use that to do greater things. You know, we, we all have to kind of leverage that. But it's that idea of what are you curious about? What are you interested in? Mm-hmm. Pursue it and be trust the process that if you do that, right. over time, these things do connect for you. Oh yeah. And you'll recognize it and then you'll be in a place where you think, wow, now I look back and I could see all the I could see how all this starts to make sense. But the common factor there is there are a lot of times where it's so frustrating. There's a lot of times, you know, before the recording when we were talking about, you know, a, a chapter that you're writing. You could have easily yeah. said no to that. Yeah. That chapter that you're writing and the research that you did with it is going to build something that you're going to do something else with next. That's just the way the world works. So yeah. you have to put the time and energy in. You cannot be lazy. There's no way around it. It's just the, it's, a, it's everything that your parents and guardians have, <laughs> have told you, right? Like you got to put the time and effort in and it, and then it starts to kind of pay off in Absolutely. different ways. Absolutely. A good friend of mine when I was in college and it sticks to me in the back of my head all of the time, he used to say persistence overcomes resistance. And I feel like that is persistence of yourself. But if you see something that you're, it's your heart's desire and you want other people to, you know, kind of hop on board, you have to be persistent with it. Because if you just try one time or two times or even five times, you may not get the traction that you think, you know, that you should get. And you're like, ah, forget it. It's not worth the time. It's not worth the effort but you have to be consistently persistent, persistently persistent in those things that you want to do. So persistence overcomes resistance. It does. And it allows you to be prepared for when opportunity presents itself. Yes. Yeah. It's not that, you know, some people are luckier than others. Right. It's you were prepared 
you know, you just, the moment when it, when it presents itself, you're able to uh, respond in a way that is going to stick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's funny you say that because I think my head is filled with sayings that people like have told me over the years. And it leads me to another one where um, one of my students actually said, sometimes preparedness meets opportunity. And that's where the, you know, you take off. Yeah. And if you're not prepared, that's when you run into a couple issues, you know, when you're not prepared for that moment. Yes. Yeah. So that's right. So it's all good. Um, so you have, you know, so when we talk about the science cheerleaders and you discussed a little bit about, you know, attraction with the science cheerleaders, do, do you reach out specifically to the NBA teams and the NFL teams or do they just know this exists by media or how does that work? Like when you. Both. Our biggest thing in the beginning, it was like reaching out, you know, starting with the mm-hmm. 76ers, moving to the Philadelphia Eagles and then kind of then realizing, wow, there's a whole like, um, NFL cheer alumni group, which was really helpful in networking. And there's something similar for the NBA. But our biggest break came when, again, this idea of like being prepared for an opportunity that strikes. Uh, work that I was doing with the National Science Foundation about um, mm-hmm. the changing planet and getting people involved in um, you know, uh, documenting changes. So this was all being done with NBC sure. News um, and their NBC Learn, so the, like the network. Okay. And so that was funded by the National Science Foundation. And it was a case where I said, why don't we do something cool about, you know, the science of cheerleading? Or the, and they said, well, right. I don't know that we're ready for that, but we are ready for the science of football because NFL, NBC had a major contract with NFL. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we could we could do something like that and do a series of the science of NFL football. I always found it ironic, by the way. So I was a co-principal investigator on that. I won an Emmy. So somehow I won an Emmy for like most original sports program or nice. something like that. I was just lucky to be part of a very talented team there. But in the process, um, the most I could get, the, the, they didn't have the cheerleaders speak on camera. It uh-huh. did always bother me right? because the cheerleaders and the science cheerleaders were able to articulate and they knew. I mean, these women are, they're all in with their science careers too. Sure. They actually did know things about like the physics of the the, the toss. Oh, um, yeah. You name it. Um, hydration, dehydration, almost every topic wow. that we were covering they knew uh-huh. football players understandably did not know they sure. went their their career is not in science right. you know cheerleading is a side gig no matter what it's a lot of work it's all that but it's not the rigor that the football players have it's their whole entire life you know for the time that it's their career right so i don't mean to bash the football players no Just, no no not at all it was more this case of like they weren't comfortable yet putting the cheerleader in that role of like also a scientific expert because i don't even think they I don't think the NFL could get their head around that yet. Right. So um, this is going back a couple of years, but the long, the short answer there is that it allowed us to, we said, we're going to do a preamble and a wrap up to um, the video components that will live only on the websites okay. and multiple websites, but we'll have a science cheerleader introduce the topic. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we'll do an interview with that same science cheerleader. Okay. And so that was nice and it worked very well on web and it wasn't a risk to them to like put out on, NBC because mm-hmm. these did air, you know, these, these were pretty big, but it allowed us to have credibility when NBC and NFL 
reached out to every cheer director in one email and oh. said, you're going to hear from, you know, Darlene Cavalier from the Science Cheerleaders. They want to know who's pursuing STEM. This is what that means. Here's some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, we encourage you to, you know, poll your cheerleaders and see who fits that um, bill. They'll do an interview. This is how all this works. So it was our first time we had like, um, you know, introduction to every one of the cheer directors. And that's also how we learn like all but four of the teams have cheerleaders. Sure. So they all responded. We we're able to get like a foundation or baseline understanding of all the different cheerleaders and start to understand that there's definite patterns. It's um, Phoenix Cardinals. It's, or the Arizona Cardinals. It's um, the, the 49ers, the, mm-hmm. the Falcons, Patriots. And there's one other where there are just year over year, about 20, approximately 20 to 25% of their cheerleaders are science cheerleaders. And we kept looking to see why, why, why is that the case? Because it's amazing. Yeah. It's because they have a lot of colleges in those towns. Okay. So Boston area is a great example of that. Oh, yeah. Or they have high um, like tech um, industry. So right. there's a lot of engineers that are there. And that would be the Phoenix area, and that's uh, 49ers. So anyway, we started to learn about these patterns, which makes right. our work more efficient. So now we just go back to the same teams, too. And we would do – the teams were great. They would send their cheerleaders, you know, very often for free, not charge us for the appearance that they were doing with us, um, especially with um, Pop Warner. And um, we just had a great time. And we still do. But it's, you know, right now we're um, setting up something, a monthly interview with a a current cheerleader because they're not cheering. Many of them are not doing what they need, you know, uh, signed up to do. Sure. And matching them with um, Pop Warner. So it's kind of interesting because typically we struggled with finding a science cheerleader who would be able to go to a small rural area, which is very often where Pop Warner mm-hmm. takes place. Um, so just matching them up for live events was difficult. But now right. online, we have an opportunity now to have, you know, a great science cheerleader from the Patriots uh-huh. share her experiences and do, you know, live Q&A through Zoom with I mean, it could be 100,000 of those youth cheerleaders, a lot of them. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to do that monthly moving forward. And one other thing is where we had like a neat um, intersection of SciStarter and Science Cheerleaders is when a couple of the Science Cheerleaders, when they learned about SciStarter too, they're like, you know, we have research projects. It would be helpful for us to have the public help us with ours. And so two of them joined forces and actually put together a citizen science project one was at UC Davis. Oh, okay. And she was pursuing her PhD um, in biomedical engineering. Okay. And um, she's a great example, too. She was a cheerleader at Georgia Tech, uh-huh. where she got her undergrad. Then when she moved over to UC Davis, she was a cheerleader. Oh, she was a cheer- cheerleader at Georgia Tech and for the Falcons. Oh, wow. The Hawks, one of the teams. Then she moved to California, her, got her PhD while she cheered for the NFL and the NBA team out there, which is incredible. Right. Her name is Wendy too. Mm-hmm. She'd be a great person if I have. Did I I'd introduce love you? To yeah. have her. Oh my gosh, she's going to be amazing too. So many <laughs> of them. She stands out just from this example. So she partnered up with a science cheerleader whose name is Summer, who worked at NASA, mm-hmm. has an aerospace engineering degree, and cheered for the Texans. Nice. And so they helped craft um, a project with the Eisen Lab at UC Davis, and we got. 
4,000 people involved in swabbing, basically collecting microbes okay. from shoes and cell phones and from built environments. So the okay. study here was to see, um, one is to populate at that time, a very new database of microbes. So it's sure. called the Earth Microbiome Map. Okay. So um, all of these samples went to a lab in outside of Chicago. Now I can't remember what it is. It's like a, one of the one of the federal labs too. Mm-hmm. They did the rapid sequencing mm-hmm. of the 4,000 samples. Other samples that were from the built environment. So mm-hmm. this is from, uh, I got to swab the crack of the Liberty Bell. Like we just did so many really cool things. They went to UC Davis and they did a much deeper dive into the um, analysis. Mm-hmm. And half of those, so 50, 48 samples were selected to fly on the International Space Station. So we all got to watch our research project (laughs) board SpaceX and dock with the International Space Station. We learned so much about this. And the astronauts there swabbed the inside of the space station. So the the components of this research project were to, you know, help populate the Earth's microbiome map Mm -hmm. and then also study the growth rate of um, microbes in a microgravity climate, which is the International Space Station. Yeah which just keeps orbiting around and around and around and um, understand what kind of microbes live in the International Space Station. So that's the built environment wow. comparison. And so there was, we just, I mean, after all these years, actually published a paper about that. Right. And one of the interesting things is that where, you know, there weren't a lot of surprising findings, of course, like the, the microbes that were found up there, a lot of them came from humans. It makes sense because sure. the International Space Station yeah. is populated with humans from all different types of countries. Right. There was one example of something that relatively harmless um, grew so much more rapidly in that environment than here. And the fact that it populated so quickly can be an area for concern when you start thinking about long-term space travel. Oh, sure. It takes a long time to get to Mars. If you have something that you thought was, you know, whatever it might be, some kind of harmless bacteria that is so slow growing here, just doesn't pose a threat, is multiplying at a rate in space that could, you know, I'm making this part up, Sure. eventually kill somebody. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, the, pub, the paper has been published, but it's an example of how it was like, kind of formed by these science cheerleaders mm-hmm. uh, and had this massive appeal because the youth cheerleaders from Pop Warner engaged fans right. in collecting a lot of these and NFL cheerleaders and NBA cheerleaders engaged fans. I mean, we shot um, the sterilized Q-tips and the instructions out of a t-shirt bazooka at a 76ers game. Oh, wow. And so the announcer was like, all right, fans, we're going to do science. <laughs> I was able to explain what was happening. It was so funny. It was so much fun. We had a great time. So we're hopefully, you know, if the world gets back to normal and we can, yeah. Do things like that again. We're going to do something cool like that again. Yeah, it's really neat that the organizations, so the NBA and the NFL, they just like embrace the um, opportunity for the cheerleaders and subsequently science cheerleaders to do these things, you know? Yep. Um, and yeah. yeah, that's really good. Here's a question. Do Does the NFL and the NBA, do they have like um, education, you know, do the science cheerleaders get any reimbursement or any kind of money to go to college? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. I'm I mean, just we're, we're really, um, we're really pushing them to shine a 
shine more of a light as at the organizational level. I think, uh, sure, yeah. you know, they're franchises. So each team could do whatever it wants with its cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Like they, just because mm-hmm. the NFL set up the introduction at a, at a headquarter level, you know, mm-hmm. so totally up to each individual team to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. So, but you know, we still feel that there's more that should be done that could be done for sure. And that really should be done to shine a positive light on the cheerleaders because yeah you know you sometimes you go to a game you you look at the cheerleaders and they're so easy to dismiss or they're so easy to put in a bucket of oh they must be this they must be you know just wanting to be discovered and be a model or whatever it might be yeah to shine a better light on them and say like this is what they do because they all have different reasons some some do it because they actually love the team i mean there are some science cheerleaders that are like oh I wanted to be a cheerleader for this team because, I mean, I watched the games. <laughs> and- Let me tell you, when I was younger, I, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but when I was probably nine or 10, and I can get my sister to corroborate this story, I used to watch the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader movie because I swear yes. I was going to be a Dallas Cowboy yeah. cheerleader. <laughs> you we all have our things and- yeah. Not anymore. You well, know, let's, try. let's go for it. We'll be our own part two of that Palms movie, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um, I cheered um, at in high school, at a very small high school, Morrisville High School. Yeah. Less than 80 kids in our class, but somehow our little tiny basketball team made it to mm-hmm. the states and the state finals. And, you know, the enthusiasm, just watching fans like be all in. And yeah. I loved it so much. So I did try out for cheerleading at Temple. Speaking of which, if there's any young girls listening who are in high school, call a co- I, I, you know mm-hmm. call the college and you say when are cheerleading tryouts, and it's usually before school starts. So be prepared to like try out in the summer before your event. That's just a little tip that I wouldn't have done if I didn't call. So I tried out and I I made the team. Yeah. Um, and I made the team without doing any knowing how to do any stunts because our little high school team didn't do stunts. But I was also a trained ballerina and a dancer right. you know every day after school pretty much 4 30 to 9 30 if I wasn't cheering at a basketball game I was training and so I had very good balance and I was coordinated right. so at tryouts when we did stunts first of all I didn't realize you could get hurt I just trusted like all right they said they're gonna toss me up I'm gonna do this they're gonna flip and they're gonna catch me I had really good balance and these other skills that helped so when I made the team, um, I loved it. And the basketball team, first year I was in college, was ranked number one in the country for month, uh, maybe 16 weeks. So you might remember this was back, you know, not just John Chaney. This was like uh-huh. Mark Macon. Oh, um, the Mark Macon years. Yeah, I was at Temple then too. And that was amazing. So, yeah. you know, we traveled with the team. It was just amazing. I was on, the, I made the varsity team. Right. So I was on the, I was on that travel team. 1.79 GPA my first year though. <laughs> You're like, well, <laughs> I had to go to summer school. I had to go to summer school just to get back in the temple, by the way. So, you know what? I like that you said that because sometimes people get discouraged, girls especially. I mean, any college student, but you know, we're talking about young women on fire and they get highly discouraged. You know, they go into school and their first semester, they just bomb, you oh, know? Yeah. And we, we have to have that, that grace period where we're like, you know what? You can get back up. It's just, it's not a matter of the fall down. That's it's right. to get back yeah. up. 
Yeah. And yeah. if there's young girls listening, I would say the biggest risk. Now, cheerleading kept me in shape and it kept me out of trouble because we, we practiced all the time. We practiced a lot. Sometimes we would make fun that we kind of practiced more than the football team. We'd see them come and go. I'm like, we're still here. <laughs> um, and it was all, you know, it was for football and basketball. So you just have to be engaged in something because yes. having a 1.79 and not being involved in cheerleading would have been a different story as a communications major at Temple. There's no excuse for of it. Of course. No, no knock on my friends who are a communications major. But if you're engaged and you're, you're right though, I, you know, there's always a second chance. Absolutely. So for me, I went, you know, did my course at, uh, in summer school to come back to Temple and then took it more seriously to him and buckled down. But during my senior year, it was this big announcement all over the news that for the first time, the 76ers were going to have cheerleaders. Wow. And so they made a very big deal about, now these are, these are dancers. Mm -hmm. So less about cheerleading, but I had still been dancing. Right. And I knew I was not going to make it to Broadway. I wasn't that kind of, I wasn't good enough for that. And I wasn't built to be like a professional ballerina, but I, man, I love dance and I was not ready to give up. So I was kind of almost done with cheerleading in the, in the stunting world and so forth. And like the way that we cheer at Temple. Sure. So, and the team wasn't getting, <laughs> I got spoiled my first year. Like, what do you mean? We're not number one. I'm happy joking. So, um, I was competitive and I, I wanted to see if I could make this cheer team. And then I loved, I loved the choreography just for tryouts. Yeah. Oh my God. And they had three tryout, you know, three rehearsals a week. Like it was actually what I was looking for for what I wanted to do right. and the, the basketball part of it and the Sixers were almost secondary to me. Mm -hmm. So I made the team and I, you know, I'm still very good friends with the, the other dancers who were on the team. Like there's a real sense of um, teamwork and friendship that you have. And it was fun. We had so, so, so much fun. Um, and then there's a lot of community work that you do. That felt good to give back to the community in ways from these professional teams that I think a lot of people might be surprised about how much happens behind the scenes where you, you go out and you do things for the community. So that was all great. And I, so I did that for three years. And that was back in the era of Charles Barkley. Mm -hmm. So the team was good and it was just it was a lot of fun. Right. That's the reason why I went into it. Like I said, others have, have other reasons for doing it. But um, so as far as like the NBA and especially the NFL, I think more can be done to support the, I think more can be done to support the cheerleaders. Of course. I think way more can be done to support shining a brighter light on how remarkable they are and letting youth cheerleaders know that, you know, they all have professional careers outside of being a cheerleader. Um, and I don't know why they don't do that more. You know, I think that would help with the reputation of cheerleaders in general. Also a little bit skewed. We've learned a lot too. Like typically um, cheerleaders, especially youth cheerleaders and college cheerleaders, they tend to also be the ones who are, you know, leading in school government. I mean, cheerleaders are leaders in school too. You know, they're, they're competitive, they're driven. They've got all those skills that I talked about before. They tend, tend to be, you know, persistent, yeah. you know, just the, it's like a sport, it's a sport. And so, you know, you know, with your girls and yourself, like those athletes are committed and um, that plays across so many different other aspects of their life, not just in sports. Yeah, absolutely. So we would love to get our hands on some of these amazing 
young women to see what they're doing in STEM specifically. Um, there was, I feel like a couple of years ago, there was a huge push, like, you know, get your girls, girls in engineering, math and science, like, let's go, let's go. And that in, from what I can see anyway, on the outside, that that's kind of died down a little. And I don't know if it's because girls weren't getting interested or there are a lot of girls interested. And so they don't feel the need to like, you know, push it as much as they possibly can. Well, it's a good question. It's still out there. So mm-hmm. a lot of women in STEM movements, um, they are they are making a difference, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I think where they need more help still is like it's this big challenge here of like the the engineering, the math, engineering, computer sciences still lack a lot of diversity. Yeah, they definitely lack, lack uh, women in those fields. So, you know, the 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 thing to watch out for, I think, is this the uh, the idea that there weren't enough women in STEM. I mean, you know, it's 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 pretty packed with the medical field and biology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, encouraging more people to get PhDs could be a problem too, because it's hard for them to find jobs. Right. So the whole pipeline issue is something that people are looking at more carefully. But there's no doubt that engineering, math, computer sciences still need more women in there. And the reason why they do, so I also didn't understand why. I'm like, if they don't want to, why push them? You know, that's kind of how I thought about it. But then you start to realize like, well, people were designing cars. Yes. If they're men, that's what you get. You know, when you sit in a car seat and just a little example, I remember somebody using before of like where the, um, the heater vents come out in your car and there's something yeah. right above it. And if you're somebody who's wearing jewelry, or, you know, bracelets, they burn, they get hot so fast. And so somebody was pointing out all these ways that you can tell something was not designed by (laughs) a woman who, you know, even, even something about the, the bottom of your shoe, like the heel of your shoe, how dirty that gets in a car, because your heel is constantly on the bottom. I don't remember all the examples, but this is where it kind of became clearer for me. Like if you're not part of the team designing and testing Right. These things used, then they're not going to reflect you. And that's, that's for all diversity. That's why it's important to have oh, absolutely. all types of people involved in these um, pursuits. Be at the table so right. you can help shape your own future and what you want your future to be. If you're not there, you're just giving up power to somebody else to speak on your behalf. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's impressive. I, I totally agree with you on that completely. Because you see it in your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you put this there? Yeah. Why would you? Whose right. idea was this? Yes. You know? And it's it wasn't your idea. That's all yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, this is so. So, yep. Be a part of the, be a part of the discussion. You'll be a part of the solution. That's for right. sure. Yeah. Good deal. Um, Darlene, thank you so much for waking up on a Sunday and joining me. I loved it. And you have yeah. good questions. I'm really glad that you're putting this together, Don. And I can't wait to see where this where this leads to. And I'm yeah, going to put you in uh, touch with more of the science cheerleaders too. Absolutely. I would just yeah. Thank you so much. This is this has been enlightening. It's been inspiring. And you know, our young women they know that there's definitely a future ahead for them in science in STEM. So just keep plugging away. It's going to happen. Yes, I will. Yeah. You too. All right. Thank All you right. so much, Darlene. Thanks, Don. Take care. Okay. All right, you too. Thank you again, Darlene, for that poignant interview about it doesn't matter where you start. It 
always matters where you end up and use your passion to guide those things. Until next time, let's keep an eye out for those young women on fire.